All right, good morning. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for that. Um, I want to reemphasize if you haven't signed up for the cleansing retreat, today's the last day. And someone asked me yesterday, they said, you know, at the cleansing retreat, are they going to like publicly expose like all of our stuff? And I told, and you know, that's, I think that's a concern we have when you hear something like this. And I said, I just, no, I wish them no, not at all. Um, they're very sensitive. They're very honoring. It's just teaching, kind of corporate prayer, and then you have an opportunity to, to receive prayer um, privately with someone. Um, but it's going to be really good. And so today's the last day to sign up, so I want to just encourage you to go. Well, today we're continuing our series, Seeing Through God's Lenses, and it's basically how we see the world and what we choose to um, inform our worldview, what we look to to inform our worldview, because our worldview greatly impacts how we live our lives, what we do and the actions we do and what we believe and how we live. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, the Wogans, um, they came and Nick and Olivia, they came and their family was visiting and Dale and I had a chance to, to meet with them. And great family, they were in our church for, for many years and they moved a couple years ago to Colorado. And they were kind of sharing with us the environment in Colorado. They said in Colorado, you know, they live in a kind of a smaller community. It's very outdoorsy. And so people are into like outdoor stuff, adventure stuff. They play hard, right? It's kind of just like that go for it kind of attitude. And that's just the whole culture of the community, community they live in. And so I thought it was very interesting because they value that. They value like just taking risks, having fun, going for it. In fact, he was talking about their, their son, Zeke. He, I don't know how old he is. He's not very big, but they were talking about, they were kind of discussing, Zeke and Nick, the dad, were discussing about whether he had actually done a black diamond skiing run before. And Nick said, yes, you have. You've done a black diamond before. He says, I don't think so. They're, and he's small, right? Well, they were telling me that they went, um, skiing, or they were going, same when they were younger, they were getting ready to go skiing, and they saw a family they knew there, and the daughter, little girl, she was like on crutches. And then so Nick asked the parents, oh, she's on crutches, what happened to her? He goes, the dad said, oh, nothing. They go, well, why the crutches? Oh, she's just practicing and preparing for the future. <laughs> and she was actually just playing with and practicing using crutches because they go, well, sometime, you know, we hope not, but sometime she's probably going to get hurt. So, but she, and, you know, I can see the look on your face. I see Jane's look, right? It's like, like disgusted, like, oh, my gosh, right? But that's their mindset. Their mindset, hey, is let's go for it in life. Let's play hard. And they, the kids grow up doing that. Little kids that are going on ski runs and stuff, they grow up like that, and so that's their worldview. And it affects their actions, how they live their life. Key question is, what's your worldview? What informs your worldview? And how does that affect the way you live your life? Is your worldview informed by you know, the media or experts or, you know, people around you or some other thing? Or is your worldview 
shaped and grounded in the word of God, the Bible. Because whatever your worldview is, that is going to affect how you live your life, what actions you take, what you believe, how you cultivate your relationships and family. And so today we're going to look at, I believe, the foundational biblical truth. It's a really core foundational biblical truth, and it has to do with sin, original sin, and the clash of the kingdoms, the clash of the kingdoms. And so let me start with a statement, okay? I want you to think if you think this statement is true or false. Okay, the statement is this. People are basically good. People are basically good. Share with your neighbor, share with them. What, what do, you, do you think that's true or false? People are basically good. You know, how you view that statement, how you respond to this question of, do you think people are basically good, that has a profound impact on how you live your life, on how you live your life. In 2020, Dr. George Barna, he's a famous Christian researcher, they did their, with the, with the Cultural Research Center, they conducted their seventh nationwide American worldview survey. And regarding this statement, they found that most Americans, most Americans feel that people are basically good. In fact, 70% of churchgoers believe that people are basically good. But you know, the Bible is very clear on this issue, on this view of people and the world. The Bible is, I believe, very clear that we're going to see. And the biblical view is that people are not basically good, that people basically have a sin nature which compels us towards sin and selfishness. That's the biblical view of people, of us. That people are not basically good, but we have a sin nature compels us towards sin, rebellion against God, and selfishness. And so we're going to look at that today. So let's start with Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. There's the beginning of history, right? It says this, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. This is God talking to Adam. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are surely to die. Okay, then Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw, that's Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So Adam and Eve directly rebelled, disobeyed what God had told them. He said, God wasn't being mean. He said, you can eat any fruit from any tree. Just don't eat from this one because when you eat, and if you eat, you'll die. So don't eat that one. And what did they do? They ate from that tree. They ate from that tree. 
and they sinned, and because they did that, three major things happened, okay? Because they did that, they ate the forbidden fruit, they sinned, three major things happened. First, they became sinners, and so would all their descendants after them would become sinners, would be born sinners with the sin nature. Romans 5.19a, that's the first part, because one person disobeyed God, namely Adam, Adam and Eve, many became sinners. Because So it's kind of like this. Once they sinned, it changed their makeup. Their spirit died. And so every person born after them their spirit was dead. They were born with a soul, with a body, but their spirit was dead. Okay? Every person after them. And they were born with a sin nature. Okay, number two, not only did they become sinners, and so would every person after them, Satan took control of the... Is this kind of cutting out? Okay, I'm going to change. Oh, use this. Okay, so um, Satan took control of the world. Satan took control of the world. That was a result of their sin. Genesis 1.28, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So God told Adam and Eve, Hey, you be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern and rule over the earth. So God had given the responsibility to Adam and Eve to govern, to rule the earth right? But then we see, because of their sin, look what happened. Matthew 12, 24 through 25. But when the Pharisees heard, oh, sorry, Matthew 4, 8 through 9, next the devil took him, that's Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And this is what Satan said to Jesus when he was tempting him. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. So Satan, when he's tempted Jesus, Jesus goes into the wilderness. Jesus tempted by Satan. Satan takes him up to see all the kingdoms of the whole world. And he says to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the whole world. Now Jesus didn't say, Satan, you don't own the world. Satan, you can't do that. Jesus said we should bow down and worship the Lord thy God and him alone. Because Jesus knew that Satan was indeed in control of the world. Once Adam and Eve sinned, they abdicated, they, give, they gave up their responsibility, their right to govern the world, and Satan took control. John 12, 31, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. So at this time, Satan is the ruler of this world. So they became sinners. We all became sinners, everyone born from them. Satan took control of the world. And then three, it began a clash of the two kingdoms. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Look at these verses, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was bringing and manifesting the kingdom of God when he came in power. 
And so it was an invasion. Jesus was establishing warfare. He was invading the earth and establishing his kingdom here on earth to compete, to fight against the kingdom of Satan. Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus has just cast out a demon from a, from a man. And then the Pharisees, they were saying, oh, he's only doing that because he's on Satan's side. He's casting out the demons from the power of Satan. But then this is what Jesus says. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered or feuding will fall apart. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So Jesus acknowledges the kingdom of Satan. He said, Satan's kingdom isn't like that. If it's fighting amongst itself, it'll fall apart. So he's acknowledging the kingdom of Satan, and he says he's bringing his kingdom. So there's a clash of two kingdoms. Ephesians 6.12, many popular verse, many of you know it. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Okay, so once Adam and Eve sinned, three major things happened. Once they became sinners, everyone else of them was born a sinner. Two, Satan took control of the world and became the ruler of this world. And then three, there was a clash of the kingdoms. And, Satan, and Jesus was bringing to establish his kingdom here on earth. All right? And so what are the implications of these three things? These are, this is a biblical worldview. This is how the Bible views the world. And the truth that the Bible says is what's true about reality, about the world we live in, about the spiritual world that's happening around us. Okay, so what are the implications of that? Well, first, what are the implications of the fact that they sinned and everyone after them was born in sin? Without Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we all have a bent towards sin. Okay, without Jesus and the Holy Spirit, every single person that does not have Jesus and the Holy Spirit has a bent, a natural bent, a natural inclination towards sin. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 7.15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate to that? I can relate to that. Sometimes I do the things I don't want to do. In fact, I do the things that I hate. Why? Because it's sin nature. And even for believers, even though that old, old man, the Bible says the sin nature has died, we still have the habits that we've acquired by being, having that sin nature in us. Right? And so, it says everyone since. Now, how does, that, how does that impact us on a day-to-day life? The fact that we have this, everyone has this inclination to sin. Number one is this. Every person needs to be saved. Every person needs to be saved. Because every person was born a sinner. You know, we aren't sinners because we commit sin. 
We commit sins because we, were, we are sinners. That's our identity before Christ. We are sinners. That's why the evidence, the fact that we are sinners is the fact that we sin. It reveals the fact that we have this nature. So everyone needs to be saved. Now, every single person has the capacity to sometimes do good and sometimes do bad, and some greater degrees of bad than good and vice versa. But everyone will sin, and God hates hates, hates sin. God hates sin because sin hurts and destroys and kills. The result of sin is death. Death to people that God loves. The hurting and pain toward people that God wants to be part of his family. And so, every single person needs to be saved. All the people in your family, the people at your workplace, your neighbors, your loved ones, all of them, all of us need to be saved. You know, um, the other day, I hope it's okay. I forgot, I didn't okay with Paul, but I think it's okay. We were in our group, and Paul was sharing about him um, reaching out to his friend. His, his friend has terminal cancer, and he was sharing with us that he was watching a TV show, he's into this TV show, and then for some reason he just felt, and he said, I think it was the Holy Spirit, said, call your friend. And he was like, he's like in the middle of the show, right, Paul? Engaged in the show, and then he kept hearing, call your friend. And he's like, oh, I don't know what to say to him, you know. I know his other, his other buddies have been trying to reach out to him, but he's not answering his phone. But Paul felt like, and so just in faith, Paul responded to the Lord. And so Paul called his friend, and his friend picked up right away. And then they started talking. Paul was talking about, asking how he's doing. And then, you know, and, um, you know, he's kind of getting, he's still able to engage, but it's, it's progress, things are progressing. And then, and then Paul said, he told his friend, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. And Paul prayed for him before, actually prayed with him before too, and, or on the phone at least. And Paul said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I would be so sad if I knew you, you never heard about the Lord, about Jesus. Uh, and so would it be okay if I, if I shared with you? And the friend said, yeah, sure, you go ahead and share. And Paul shared with his friend, the gospel about Jesus. And he told his friend, you know, Jesus came to die so we can be forgiven of all our, friend, all our sins. And you know what this man said to that? I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. And Paul shared more with him and then invited his friend to pray with him. 
And, and his friend said, okay, yeah. And they prayed, and Paul walked with his friend to receive the Lord. And it was, it was so awesome. Paul said, you know, I, I wasn't expecting this reaction, after, but after he hung up the phone, Paul said he was just sobbing. Because everyone needs to be saved. Everyone needs to be saved because of sin. Because we were born sinners. And so that's, that's first. Second, because of this, we should not put our hope in humanity. We should not put our hope in humanity. You know the root of every social problem at its core? Crime, violence, racial issues, war, poverty, gender identity, sexuality, lack of education, political tension. The answer is not a program. Those can help, but the answer, the root answer is not a program, it's not a policy, because the root issue is spiritual, and the root issue of every societal problem is sin. The fact that people were born sinners. And we don't, at the root, to deal with them, it's not programs, it's not policies, it's not people that are going to solve these things because we all have a bent towards sin. It's Jesus alone because it going to take a spiritual transformation of people's hearts. So don't look to humanity to save, to solve societal ills. Now that could help, those things could help, but the root is spiritual. It's a sin issue. And then thirdly, we need to raise and train up our children. I'm giving you a grandson story, a Huddy story. My grandson has learned very well to say no. <laughs> you know, you ask him almost anything, and probably the majority of times, no, 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 no. And, and he's a pretty mellow kid. He's pretty, but, you know, he needs training. He needs training. Why? Because of sin nature. If, if you just let kids go, you just let them go. No training, no guidance. They're basically good. You think they're going to grow up good? You know, there was a story a while back, a book, famous book, Lord of the Flies, right? It's a study of human nature. These Teenage boys are in a plane from a school, it crashes, all the adults are killed, and these teenage boys are stranded on this deserted island together. They start building a society, and you know what happens, right? After a while, this, this is what happens. Chaos, violence, murder starts taking place on this island. You know, when this book first came out, it's like it was in the 50s, it was like a bestseller, it was called a classic because it revealed human nature. But you know, recently, or even in the 90s, in the 90s, 
it was on the list of most challenged books. And today, people are calling it a myth. People are saying, or even banning it from reading lists for, for kids. You know why? Because humanists hate that book. Because humanists believe, no, people are basically good. If we believe in people, there we will be the answers. We have unlimited potential. And so they don't want a book that's talking about, no, we have a sin nature. No, left unto ourselves, it's going to lead to destruction and chaos and death. What's your worldview? Do you have a biblical worldview informed by the truth of God's word? Or have you succumbed to the views, the opinions, the thoughts of the world? Sin is the number one problem for humanity. And that's why God sent Jesus to deal with sin through the blood and the cross. Okay, what about the fact that Satan controls the world? Satan controls, what are the implications? He's at work to thwart God's plan in the world. Satan's the ruler of this world. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. The world around us is under his control. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. If you have friends or family that don't believe, a major part of that is because Satan is blinding them. Satan is at work. He wants to thwart God's plans and purposes and God's desires for that person's life. Revelations 12.9, the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. Every system of the world that's apart from God, is manipulated and controlled by Satan. Every human system. If God is not the center of that system, if, that's, if that whatever it is is not seeking to honor God, Satan's in control of that. Because he's the God of this world. He rules this world. And he's in control of it, ultimately. That means government, Media, education, entertainment, the financial industry. If God is not the center of those, Satan is in control. Satan is influencing that system. Think about the educational system. You know the universities? They were originally started as what? Seminaries. Harvard, Yale, most of the Ivy Leagues. They started as seminaries to train up pastors, right? And now, they're the loudest voices for the values of the world, which are direct, directly contradictory to the values of the Bible. Think about the public education system. The public education system, right? It's set up 
to help to disciple children in the ways of God. Look at what's happening today. Are they discipling children in the ways of God? Why? Or why not? Because they're more enlightened? Because people have matured? Because society is getting better? Is that what we're seeing happening in the public school educational system? Now, there are good people, great people, like Jody and like my son, Matt, and other teachers. My There's great people in there that we know that are trying to bring light in that place. But make, make no mistake about it. Public education, it's not God-centered. So who's in control? Who's pulling the strings? Who's influencing that system? It is anti-God and anti-biblical. You know, there's this growing, blatant, it's not even in the shadows anymore. There's this growing, blatant, anti-God, anti-biblical world view, and it's scary. And I think in, in many instances, it's very evil. It's very evil. There's this man by the name of Dr. Yuval Noah Harari. Have you heard of him? Dr. Yuval Noah Harari. He's a professor of history at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He's an Israeli. He's a Jew. And he is one of the top, if not the top advisors to Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. If you don't know anything about the World Economic Forum, you need to do some research on that. Because the World Economic Forum is a group, a, a partnership, a global partnership of all of the most influential people in the world. Politicians, business people, the, the wealthiest elite, they're all connected. Most of them are connected to this organization called the World Economic Forum. And this Yuval Harari, he's probably their top advisor. He's probably one of the most influential people in the world today. In fact, many people have dubbed him the prophet. He kind of denies that, but denies, or he doesn't embrace that publicly. But people have called him the prophet. Okay? I've seen his actual videos, him actually talking, I've seen it, I've listened to it, and I'm gonna just give you some quotes of, I actually transcribed these quotes from videos I've actually seen where he's actually himself talking. Look at some of these quotes. He says, the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be what do we need humans for or at least, what do we need so many humans for? He says that's going to be one of the biggest questions. What do we need humans for? And what do we need so many humans for? And then the interviewer said, do you have an answer in the book? And he said, 
The best guess we have is to keep them happy with drugs and computer games. Next, humans are now hackable animals. You know, the whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit or they have a free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me, so whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, that's my free will, that's over. Next, science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design, the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. Next, now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for example, the power to re-engineer life. A couple more. What is good and what is evil? What is pious action and what is sin? So in the previous eras, you went to God or you went to the Pope or you went to the Bible. And this was the source of ethical authority. Nobody cared what, much what people actually felt about it. Now in the era of the humanist ethics, he says the era of the humanist ethics, the saying is we don't care very much for what God says or what the Bible says or what the Pope says. We want to know how people actually feel. It's very simple. The highest authority in the field of ethics is the authority of human feelings. That's scary. He's saying the highest moral authority is how people feel. Finally, history began when humans invented gods and will end when humans become gods. And then last, I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. This is one, in, one of the leading voices in the world today. Many elite, wealthy people are singing this guy's praises. And what he's representing, what he's saying, it's anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christ. There is a clash of two kingdoms taking place. And we can see it now more clearly than ever, in our, at least in our lifetimes. And the question is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you supporting? Whose side are you fighting for? Remember, Jesus said this, Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. 
God's plans and purpose is to defeat Satan through his people. Look at Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We were taken from the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom. We were under his rulership, and he took us out of that and put us into the kingdom of God, where we are overseen and ruled and guided by God and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And he is wanting to establish his kingdom against Satan's kingdom. You and I were in a fight. We're in the greatest warfare of history. Let me just close by saying this. Nothing, nothing, nothing can thwart the plans of God. He has addressed sin through the blood of Jesus and the cross, completely addressed it. He will deal with Satan, and Satan will be cast down and thrown into the lake of fire. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord and the true King. But we need to get into the fight. Jesus says, if you're not working for me, and we are not working with me, that you're working against me. Passivity means we're not working with him. Then who are we working with? Who are we working for? Maybe unknowingly. What beliefs have we allowed to seep into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls? Here are some quick things you can do to get into the fight. There's some questions. What do you need to look into further? What do you need to research? That's not an excuse to put your head into the sand. I don't want to hear it. It's scary. I don't want to know about it. That's contributing to the kingdom of Satan. What is one way you need to stand for biblical values? What is one thing, one issue, one area where you feel like, I need to stand in this area? If not for yourself, for your family, for your kids. Three, who needs to be saved? Who around you needs to be saved? Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to be saved. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, then you are under the rule of Satan. You are in the kingdom of darkness. You are unknowingly, perhaps, being influenced by him who is the ruler of this world, and you need to be saved. I needed to be saved. And thank God for Jesus, because you can have salvation in him. And then finally, how do you need to strengthen your faith.
the Lord says, it's time to wake up. Church, this is my people. It's time to wake up because things are happening and accelerating now. And the war is raging. And so I exhort you, get in the fight. Get in the fight. Let's bow forward a prayer. Father God, we acknowledge your complete authority and power. You were exalted and high and lifted up. There is none like you. And Lord, of all this that we've talked about, Satan does not even hold a candle to you. You could wipe him out in an instance. But Lord, in your love and glory and wisdom, you have chosen to want to demonstrate your power by defeating Satan through your people, through your followers who have freely chosen, because you gave us free will, have freely chosen to follow you and put our faith in Jesus. And you are calling us. This is a midnight cry. To wake up. Wake up. Wake up. In Jesus' name, I break the spirit of stupor, of passivity, of blindness. In Jesus' name, we break that, that there might be clarity. Holy Spirit, would you bring clarity to what is happening around us? Would you stir and breathe life and bring a resolve, God, to fight and to get into the fight for you and the things of you? Because people are dying. People will be eternally lost as a result of Satan's efforts. And we need to stand. We need to stand. We need to stand for you and the things of you. So, Lord, move in us, Lord. We just humble ourselves before you. And say, Lord, put on our hearts, stir in us the things that are on your hearts, God. Thank you, Lord. And we just want to honor and worship you now because it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It'll be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.